Well, good morning. A few announcements for you this morning. Uh, one is, if you get your bulletins out, you'll see that next Sunday, it's the first announcement on the page, um, our missionary Enoch Lucian will be preaching next week. Uh, we were going to have a meet and greet for the Lucians at the home of Greg Shanky this uh, weekend, but uh, that is canceled. As some of you know, uh, Greg's father passed away this last week. So if you would be praying for the family, um, I have not heard when the service is. Uh, maybe I'll look at that before, unless Greg is here and he can let us know. Saturday the 16th, 1 o'clock at St. Germain. So um, that's where the service is. If you'd be praying for the family and uh, supporting them as you can, that would be wonderful. Thank you. But uh, Pastor Enoch will still be with us next week, and we welcome his uh, coming amongst us, and he'll be sharing the word. Um, Also, if you didn't get your picture taken for our church directory, uh, there's a chance to get in this week, uh, this Sunday actually, right after uh, the service this morning. You can head downstairs, and Melissa Werner will take your picture for that. So uh, if you need a directory, there are in the foyer, and our plan is to add pages to that directory, so it's a a growing book, which will be which will be good. So, um, and then last but not least, I'll mention that we moved our baptism service to uh, Sunday, the 24th, August 24th, and there's a baptism class next week after the service if you're interested in being baptized. So, I think that is all. Everything else, I'll let you take a look at yourself. Oh, this is kind of cool. Last week, you know, we had the Gideon offering taken, and we uh, raised over $750 last Sunday for them. So that's kind of cool. Thank you for supporting the ministry of the Word of God through the, the Gideons. So with that, I, we, we're going to transition to preaching. I'm going to pray. We thought we'd mix things up a little bit. This is a communion Sunday, so we thought we'd do the sermon, and then we'll praise God for a time, and then we'll end with praising God in the service of communion. Okay? So let's pray and uh, go to the Word of God. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can celebrate communion. Thank you that you've given us a visible, tangible reminder of what our faith is. Our faith is all about your son Jesus who died on the cross for us and then, and then told us to take bread and take the cup and, and remember what he did forever. And so we, we want to do this well. I pray, though, for this moment, as we look at your word, that you would help us understand it, that your spirit would give me the right words to explain it, and that your spirit would give us the power to apply it and and walk in it. So, thank you for this time. We're giving it to you. All time is in your hands, and yet we, we want you here in a special way this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So would you grab a Bible and go to Ecclesiastes chapter 11? We've only got a couple uh, sermons left in Ecclesiastes. We went through the whole book, and it's been a lot of fun. The purpose behind preaching through this was to talk about the meaning of life. And Ecclesiastes is an awesome book to look at and say, you know, that there's, there's nothing outside of God that adds meaning to life. There's things that we can do and that are fun. We're told to enjoy life in this book, and yet that's not the ultimate meaning of it. Ecclesiastes 
Ecclesiastes chapter 11. All right, let's do 1 through 6. We'll start there. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If the clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Where a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how a body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning, and at the evening let your hands not be idle. For you do not know what will, which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Now, uh, let's pause there for a minute. Now, you have notes in your bulletin, by the way. They're yellow if you want to follow along that way. Um, let's summarize verses 1 through 6. When I was uh, earlier in my ministry years, I did one of my first weddings, and it was uh, an excellent couple that I had the privilege of leading to the Lord and and then watching them grow in their faith and, and then doing their wedding. Now, that's that's a blast. That's like that's one of the best things you can do. But um, one of the things I always tell couples that I'm doing the wedding for, and I still do it today, even though I've done many weddings since then, I always tell them, it doesn't matter how well you planned this wedding, something is going to go wrong. Okay, you just, just count on it. And, and if it was, if it's not an accident, then it'll be planned. You know, the groomsman's going to drop the ring on purpose, or someone's going to say something, or you just never know. But something's going to happen. It doesn't matter how much the bride and the mother have this thing working like. It, sh- it should work great. You know, for all the hours that go into it, it should be smooth sailing. But there's always something. Well, on the day I married this couple that I got to lead to the Lord, um, beautiful day. It was gorgeous out. The groom is in a in a white tuxedo. He's looking good. Hadn't seen the bride yet. And, and you know that tradition where the groom's not supposed to see the bride, right? You know, they just don't look at each other on, on, on the wedding day. Well, that morning, I'm with the groom, and we're about to walk to the doors to walk into the church. And... The bride was already standing there by the door to go in. She'd kind of beat the clock, you know, and she was up too soon. How often does that happen, brides? Seriously. I've never seen this, you know. And, and yes, I hadn't done many weddings, but I've never seen it again. You know, the bride's early. And she's by the door waiting with her dad. And I'm looking at the groom and I'm like, do, do you want her to see you? Do we walk in front of them and go in? That's a little awkward, you know. How did she get there so fast? And... Uh, like, well, tradition, tradition. Okay, I got it. Let's, let's go outside and around, and, and, and we'll, we'll go to the bottom of the building and, and come in through the bottom, walk through the, up these steps that go to the back of the church, and we're going to come in from behind, from the back of the stage, you know, because like coming on one of these side doors right here. But we had to go downstairs to do it. So we're running down there, and uh, he's in a white tux, and we're running. Okay, how stupid is that? That's not a good idea. But we're running through the grass, and we get to the downstairs door, and it's locked. So, I run back up and grab my key, and then run back down. Unlock the door. We come up, and I remember going up through the, through the back area, and, and I'm right by the door, you know, like, like the side door, and I'm going to open it to go in, and, 
And I'm like, this is it. This is the moment, right? You know, we're going to walk on the stage. It's all okay. I'm brilliant. It's all good. I open the door and I hear this, the door. And the church is silent, so you can hear this throughout the whole church. And, and then we walk in and I see, to my horror, the bride had already come to the front and she was waiting for us now. She'd already walked in. So when the sound guy saw her, he didn't look to see if we were in the front. He just saw the bride and said, time to play the music. Click. And she walked in, and there was no groom to meet her. Tradition. So I intend to preach a, a sermon about breaking tradition. No, I'm just kidding. You know, Tradition has its place. Tradition has its place. I wish I would have broken it that morning and just said, excuse me, look at your, your husband-to-be. We're walking in front of you. And just gone in. Oh, and to make matters worse, because I had run back and forth, I was huffing and puffing, okay? And uh, so I get up there, you know, and I'm walking to the front. Good morning. Good to be your family and friends. Welcome to the wedding. <laughs> I'm just like, how do I get through this? Maybe we'll start with prayer, you know. So I prayed. I tried to take long pauses in the prayer so I could catch my breath. So that was hard. That was just, that was just really, really hard. Um, okay. This morning we are talking about, we're starting to talk about, I'll make the connection here since I get my notes up. Here we go. We are talking about, uh, to begin, uh, working diligently, working hard, and uh, wisdom. Solomon starts this whole passage in uh, chapter 11 with um, the unpredictability of life. The unpredictability of life. Weddings are unpredictable. You can't control them. Something's going to happen. Should I just step back and say, well, since something bad is going to happen on wedding day, I'm not going to give my best. You know, I mean, I, I don't need, really need to worry about the wedding message. I'm sure the words are going to come out the way they should. We'll just see what happens. Or, or I, shouldn't, I shouldn't tell the ushers to be ready in case, you know, something happens to somebody. Maybe someone needs to be escorted out. Maybe somebody faints, you know. You should be ready. You should try to be ready. You should be diligent. You know, you should do the wedding rehearsal before the wedding. Even though you know something won't go as planned, you still do the best you can to make this a day that goes in an excellent way, that honors God. You still put your best out there, even though weddings are unpredictable. Now, this, the first six verses here are a lot like that. Uh, some of you have in your Bibles, the first verse there is, cast your bread on the waters. What in the world does that mean? Well, the NIV in, in, in the Pew Bible really smooths that out. It says, ship your grain across the sea. Cast your bread on the waters apparently was an old-fashioned way of saying, um, look, if you've got a lot of grain, you could keep all that grain and make a lot of bread for yourself. Or you could sell it. You know, you, you could ship your grain across the street, sea and make a profit from it. Don't be scared of, of ships going down in the water, which will keep you from investing and making a good return for yourself. Ship your bread. Ship the grain. It's okay. And then he says, invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You don't know what disaster may come upon the land. That's like not uh, putting all your eggs in one basket, in a sense, right? 
Don't count on just one thing to make you profitable. Count on a number of things. It's okay. It's okay. Um, and then it says, if the clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. I think the tree falling is supposed to be a good thing, and, and the tree is kind of like, it's firewood, right? And if the tree falls on your property to the south, well, that's a good thing for you. But let's say the tree is on the line and it falls to the north and it's in the neighbor's yard. Well, then he gets the firewood. It's okay. Wherever it falls, there it will lie. God is still in charge, even though things may go your way or they might, might not go your way. And then it says in verse 4, if you watch the wind, you're not going to plant. If you, if you look at the clouds, you're not going to reap. So if you're all worried about weather, you're never going to get to the task of farming. Let, let's summarize this stuff then and say this, and we're going to keep moving here. Life is unpredictable, but you still ought to work diligently. You ought to work wisely. You ought to work boldly. Even if you can't control the results, it doesn't mean you should sit back and be lazy and just say, well, life's too unpredictable for me. I'm just going to take it easy. There's some spiritual things here too. I'm not going to try to belabor the point here. I want to keep moving and talk about youth in a second. Okay, But um, a spiritual application might be that you don't know who's going to hear what you say and become a Christian or, or, or attend church with you or um, just, just listen to your story. Sometimes we say, well, they don't want to hear what I've got to say. They don't want to hear about my faith. They don't. You don't know that. You don't know what investment's going to have a return. You don't know what God's doing in their heart. So share. That's a pretty excellent spiritual application of that. You don't know what God is doing. People are unpredictable. Life's unpredictable. Share. Talk. Do it. I want to keep moving, though, and I want to get to youth, okay? Let's talk about young people. Do we have a lot of young people? Not too many, but if you're young or if you're young at heart, this next section is for you. Here we go. Light is sweet. We're in verse 7. And it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. But let them remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. You who are young, be happy while you're young. And let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So then banish anxiety from your heart, cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. We'll pause there. What Solomon does here is he gives young people, three excellent commands. Three things you ought to remember as a young person that will help you in this life. And, and they're good for all of us, sure. But, but these are directed at people that are young. Number one, then, is rejoice. Rejoice. That's his first command. Uh, check out verse 9. You who are young, be happy while you're young. And let your heart give you joys in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart, whatever your eyes see. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. What he says is, if you're young, be happy. Rejoice. Now you notice, he doesn't tell you what to rejoice in. He doesn't, he's not saying, rejoice in your youth. Rejoice in the fact that, hey, I'm 20 years old and I get to, you know. He doesn't say that. 
But he does say, while you're young, you ought to learn how to rejoice. That's what you ought to do. I think that one of the issues of youth, and maybe for all of us, is that we don't rejoice in the right things. I, I, think, that's, I think that's an issue. Because being a youth pastor for 10 years, I can tell you that uh, I can get teenagers very, very excited about fun things. And, and I don't care if it's, you know, you, I, I wasn't alive during the Beatles era, but, you know, I've seen the videos of the girls swooning, you know, when they came to America and all, and all this, right? Nowadays it's Justin Bieber, right? You know, it's probably the, it's a terrible comparison though because one of them's talented and one of them's not. But, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, just kidding. But uh, in any case, uh, it's easy to get excited about a lot of different things. I remember doing an event, uh, we called it the Sugar Rush. It was an a Easter egg hunt in the dark. Okay, so we sent the kids out at night and, they're, and they've got their flashlights and looking for eggs. You know, and I, I could fill a room with kids that wanted to do that. Now, right before we'd send them out, we usually did like a contest. And if you won the contest, you would get to go out first. So you get to like look for your eggs 30 seconds before everybody else did. And, and typically the contest was something horrible that you wouldn't want to do. But if you wanted to hunt early, you would do it. Like... Like we had a plastic tube, and then you crack an egg, a raw egg, and put it in the tube, you know? And you put two people on each end of the tube, and when you say go, they blow, and one person's getting the egg in the face, you know? So go, you know, and, and it's going to go one way or another. So to get people to do such a terrible thing, I would say you get a 30-second head start to find your eggs. And guess what? I never had a problem getting people to do that. One year, I remember, I had... The, the early birds, the 30-second head start people by the doors, and, and then we released them, and then everyone else kind of crowded up to the doors, and, and, and I couldn't stop them. They actually almost broke the doors down. You know, they just, they were pushing, and I had leaders on their side, and they just kind of like broke through. It was like, like, I don't know what you call that. You know, it was an invasion or something. And they just pushed through the doors, and they're out to get their eggs. Now, I'm just saying, it's easy to get excited. And whether it's sports, or whether it's something fun you have coming up, we get excited, but I think the issue is, do we rejoice in the best things? It's okay to be excited about having fun. It's okay that you're excited about taking a vacation, being on the lake. These are all good things, and I, and I think that's all included here. When, when he says in verse, uh, you know, light is sweet, verse 7, it's good to be outside in the sun. And then verse 8, however many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. Enjoy life. It's okay. It's good. But do you rejoice in the best things? Are you re- and connecting this to verse 12 and the Creator, not verse 12, I'm sorry, chapter 12 and the Creator, do you rejoice in God? Do you rejoice that you know Jesus? What did Jesus rejoice in? Would you go to Luke chapter 10? I want to show you something that made Jesus happy. Luke chapter 10. Keep your finger in Ecclesiastes. If you, uh, if you lost it already, you can find your way back. But Hundreds of years in the future, we see Jesus, and he's sending out his 
uh, disciples. He's sending out 72 of them to like do ministry in his name, to, to declare his, his word and, and heal people and do good works. And, and they come back and they're amazed. They are so excited and, and they're rejoicing. And in verse 17 of chapter 10 of Luke, it says, the 72 returned with joy and they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. It's like, this is awesome. We can even cast demons out. That's amazing. And, and, and then he's talking to them and he's like, I, you know, he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, overcome all power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Verse 20, however, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, rejoice that you know God. That should be the most, you may have a great day and you may be casting out demons from people and you've never done that before and that may be the best day of your life. I've never, this is amazing. But that shouldn't compare to your joy of knowing I know God. And God knows me. And in fact, my name's written in his book. And then it says, check this out, verse 21. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit said, so, so full of joy. In other words, I'm, I'm reading this and going, the Holy Spirit is filling Jesus with this amazing happiness. And Jesus says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Jesus is full of joy because he sees God the Father revealing who he is to people that are dependent on him. They're like little kids. Little kids. That's what he calls his disciples, his followers. You're like little kids. You, you rely on God, and God has revealed himself to you, and it makes me so happy that God has done that, that God has shown you how good he is so that you can follow him now. If that's what makes Jesus happy, if that's what Jesus says about us, you ought to just do those heart checks, shouldn't you? And say, what thrills me in this life? What makes me most happy? And it's not that I can't enjoy those beautiful days in Three Lakes or wherever you are that you're enjoying, whatever lake that you're on. It's not that you can't enjoy those days. It's just that do I rejoice primarily in the fact that Jesus is my creator? He gave me life. And then he helped me get born again he helped me believe in him right and do you rejoice in the fact that jesus is your judge i mean we read that in here back in ecclesiastes uh we'll jump back there he says in verse nine at the end you know you follow the ways of your heart whatever your eyes see but know that for all these things god will bring you into judgment well there's kind of a warning there that one day we're going to have to give an account for what we do in this life. But if you know Jesus, you know the judge, right? If you've trusted in him for salvation, I mean, he died for you. He died on the cross for you. He paid for all the mistakes you've made, all the unwise things you have done. So if you know him, you don't have to fear that. You can rejoice in that. It's not a scary thing when you know the judge, It's kind of like maybe if you're accused falsely, right? Or maybe you're even accused rightly and you're standing in the courthouse 
and, and the judge that's presiding your case is someone that's your personal friend, someone that knows you. And then the judge is actually willing to take your place in your punishment. That, that, that's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. The judge has already dealt with your crime. So that is cause to rejoice. So I would just ask you, does your heart rejoice in Jesus? That's all. Does it rejoice in Jesus? Because if the most exciting things in your life are really some good things, family, fun, sports, you can rejoice, but do you rejoice in the best things? Okay, let's keep going. Uh, word number two for the young. The young are easily excited, right? Uh, rejoice in Jesus. Number two, though, is remove. That's the word, remove. Uh, let's look at verse 10. So then, banish anxiety from your heart, cast off the troubles of the body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. Isn't it great that he says that? I mean, in our society, when you're trying to look young, you're trying to be young, you want to know what the young people wear, what they're doing, what they're listening to. You know, our society is kind of obsessed with being young. And he says, there's actually no ultimate meaning in being young. Youth is meaningless. You can't say, I'm young, I have purpose in life because I'm young. That's not how it works. And trying to get young is not how it works. So he says, banish anxiety. So you ought to remove anxiety from your heart. Now, if you put this together with what we've already read, uh, jump back for one second, a couple of verses ago. And uh, he said, uh, actually one verse ago, verse 9, he says, follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. So when you're young, you have idealism, right? You, you look at life and you think you can conquer it. And, and you get excited about things. And a lot of young people today, they want to make a difference in the world. And they're making plans. And Solomon says, yeah, f- follow the ways of your heart. In other words, I've met, I've met young people that are maybe, not maybe not obsessed, but, but they're really worried that, what if I make the wrong decision for college? Have you met young people like that? What, what if... What if I date a really, if I'm a guy, what if I really date a great Christian girl, but how do I know I should marry her? And, and you think about these big life decisions when you're young, and sometimes you just get stopped. You know, like, what, what if I choose the wrong college? I mean, I can't tell you how many times I had that conversation with teenagers. What if I choose wrong? What if I choose the wrong spouse? What if? And I look at Solomon and he's saying, you know what? Get rid of the anxiety of the heart. Get rid of it. Follow the ways of your heart. Now, that doesn't mean follow into foolish things because he says, remember, God's going to judge, bring you into judgment. That's verse 9. So don't, don't do unwise things. But you know what? If you find another person that loves Jesus and you want to marry that person, and you're both following Jesus as best as you can, then get married. Don't, don't worry about this soulmate stuff because you're going to find out, like all the rest of us married folks, that you didn't marry the perfect person. You didn't marry the one that was going to finally make you happy. You know? My wife does make me happy. 
and your spouse makes you happy. But if I'm trying to find ultimate happiness in her, I've set her up to fail. I've set me up to fail. I certainly hope she doesn't look to me for all of her, her happiness because that's a huge letdown. If I find happiness in God and I'm following my heart in a wise way, that's a key, in a wise way, then go for it. You know, you get out of high school, do you want to study abroad? Then do it. Do you want to take a year off before you jump into college like everybody said? It's okay. Follow wisdom. Follow your heart. Don't follow your heart into sin. That's where he says you draw the line. Don't get anxious. Did you choose the wrong college? It's okay. God can still use it. It's okay. God can still use it. The last part of verse 10, uh, this is when you go home and you can talk about, what do you think? Um, Cast off the troubles of your body. Cast off the troubles of your body. So that can either mean one of two things. Either don't worry about the fact that your body's getting older and it's starting to hurt. You know, things are creaking. Or, and I think it means... Your body can sometimes lead you to do stupid things. Don't do them. Don't, don't do the things that are going to bring you trouble. You know? You may know something about somebody and you so want to share it. And when you share it, you're going to have listening ears. But by the end of sharing it, you might not have a friend. Because that person says, Yeah, I love hearing what they said. I just can't be friends with them because I can't trust them. Let's put it in another English way. Don't shoot yourself in the foot. Does that make sense? When you shoot yourself in the foot, you made a stupid decision, and now it's come back to hurt you. Cast off the troubles of your body. Don't do things you're going to regret later. Don't do it. You're young. You get tempted. That's the way it goes. Control yourself. Keep yourself away from tempting places. Cast off the troubles of your body. Um, All right. So I told this story in my small group, and I saw it from a different perspective when I was telling it, because I was kind of telling it like it was kind of a funny story, but um, it's maybe not so funny. I was at summer camp, and uh, I I was with some guys, and we would like, I suppose if, if someone was being annoying or some if another guy was kind of like flirting with girls too much and, and or kind of bothering us, we would kind of like take care of them, which, which uh, means one guy, we, uh, one guy was bothering this girl and she was telling him to stop, you know, stop, just leave me alone. And so uh, one night we uh, grabbed him, duct taped his hands and feet and took him out to a field at midnight and just left him, you know. Now, uh, looking back on that, that's kind of bullying behavior. Um, that's not a good thing. Not a good thing. But um, years later, I'm an intern at my home church, the same youth group I grew up in, and I was going paintballing, and uh, that young guy was now like a senior in high school, right? He's paintballing with us, and I got hit. If you know paintball, you know, you got your guns and you're shooting little balls of paint at people, right? And if you get hit, you're out, you got to walk off the field. So I get hit, I'm out, I plug the gun, I'm walking off the field, and, and this kid that I, we did this two years before, 
he's like up in the sniper position, right? And he, and he shoots a paintball right at my neck. I'm out. I plugged the gun. I'm free to walk off. You're not supposed to hit those guys, you know? He hits me right here in the neck. That hurts. It's not covered, you know? It explodes right here. I'll never forget that. And I actually thought to myself, I had that coming. I had that coming. I deserved it. When you make foolish, sinful decisions, often they trouble your body. Sometimes literally like that one did. And sometimes it's a loss of another kind. If you don't do things that will trouble your body, you're in much better shape. So remove those things, young people. You're going to, do, you're going to feel like doing some rash and stupid things. Don't do it. Now, uh, let's get to the conclusion here. Do we, do we have a video by any chance or no? No video. Oh, we're thumbs down. All right. We're going to upgrade our computer one day, and then we'll be able to play everything. But um, you know that? Did anybody see the movie uh, Rocky Balboa, like the last one? Rocky Six, I guess it is. Did anybody see that one? Come on. Let me try it again. Anybody? Oh, there's a few. There's a few. All right, all right, all right. Well, I know why you didn't watch it, because he's an old guy that shouldn't be boxing, but he's boxing, all right? He's way too old for it, but he's boxing. We're having a movie night at my house tonight, 6 o'clock. Guess what we're watching, okay? Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, movie night at church, right? Uh, there's a scene. If you've seen, have you seen any Rocky movies? Any of them? All right, all right. You, you know how towards the end of the movie... He has the big training scene, you know, and, and he's, get, he's getting stronger, right, you know, and then he goes into the ring. Well, now he's in his 60s. He shouldn't be fighting this young guy at all. He's way too old for it. He's way too old. And there's an awesome scene where he's getting with his old trainer that he's known forever, and uh, his old trainer is telling him how old he is. You know, he's saying, you're going to need speed to beat this guy. You don't got it. And, and, and you're going to need good knees to get around the ring. You don't got those. He's like, what you do have is your fists, you know? He's like, we, we can work you out. And then I think he says, uh, his last word is, let's go build some hurting bombs, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and then, of course, he's working out, and we're all excited, you know? I don't care if he's 60, you know, eight years old. It's okay, you know, he's rocky, and he's going to beat the guy. Um, go out and watch. It's a good movie. Um, and, and there's something about watching that movie where you say, where you say, I don't care if this guy is an old man, He's got heart, and you want to see him win, even though you know there's no way that's physically possible for a person that old to beat a young guy in his prime. There's no way. It's, it's, like, these, it's like Michael Jordan saying, I could beat some of these young NBA guys even at my advanced stage. You know, it's like, no, you couldn't. I mean, you're good, but, but your prime's over. It's okay. You were the greatest, and we feel like you still are. It's okay. Um, check out the end of Ecclesiastes 11. Here we go. Uh, actually, 12. We'll start in chapter 12 now. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them, before the sun and the light and the moons and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. It sounds apocalyptic, but he's just talking about old age. See if you can catch the metaphors from here on for old age. When the keepers of the house tremble, that would be shaky hands, and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few, and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds, and, but all their songs grow faint, when people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, 
when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire is, is no longer stirred, then people go to their eternal homes and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the gold bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. And as you know, that word meaningless is the word hebel. It means there's no profit to any of this stuff. You can't find ultimate meaning without God in life. Now, did you catch some of the metaphors here? Like verse 3, the grinders cease. What are the grinders? Teeth, okay. Those looking through the windows grow dim. What's he talking about? Eyes. The doors to the street are closed. That's a little harder. What do you think? Ears. I heard it. Ears. The doors of the street are now closed. The sound of grinding fades. This one I can't get if it's a body part or if it's not working anymore. When people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. That's that, that's that terrible thing I hear about when you wake up really early, but you still can't hear anything, you know? But you just rise up early anyway. When people are afraid of heights and dangers in the streets, you can't protect yourself as well, so it's a little bit scarier to go out and you could fall. So again, it's kind of worrisome. The almond tree blossoms, that's a white blossom, so it, it refers to your white hair on your head. Desire is no longer stirred. I believe that's talking about sexuality. Then people go to their eternal homes and mourners go about the streets. That's people mourning at your funeral and you've gone to your eternal home. Your soul's left the body. And then he says, remember him before the silver cord is severed. All these are metaphors for death. The golden bowl is broken. It's like saying you've kicked the bucket. You know, um, the, the, it's just the metaphors. Isn't it interesting that we're really good at coming up with metaphors for death? Maybe somehow to keep it at bay. And yet Solomon says, you ought to think about this stuff because one day it's going to be you. One day it will be you. Remember your creator is the last command here. Remember your creator. Don't forget God. Remember. couple things I'll point out here. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you say, I find no pleasure in them. We'll say two things. You ought to remember God before you get hardened by sin. Think about this. Let's say right now you're young, life is good, and you're enjoying life as best you can. And life is really about your personal enjoyment, your personal pleasure. It's about the things your eyes see the things your ears hear, the things your body enjoys, it's all about you. You've found meaning in enjoying. What, you, what you're saying is you've found meaning in, in some ways from your senses. Your senses have given you a lot of joy and meaning in life. Or you've enjoyed your family because they're physically with you. What happens when your family's not there? What happens when your eyes start failing? I hope that I'll be able to read forever, my whole life. But if my eyes fail me one day, I'm going to have to find a different way to do that. And if my ears are failing me, well, what's going to happen? 
Is there stuff that I enjoy in life that will no longer be there when I get older? Maybe, and maybe for you too. So if you've built your whole life on enjoying these different things, what happens when you get old and God, that was the one time, right? Every service, there it is. Um, What happens when God takes those things away? When old age just removes them? Will you be the one saying, I find no pleasure in them? I don't rejoice in anything these days because everything that I used to like is gone. But God's not. And if you rejoice in Him, you've got something to rejoice in the rest of your days. Be they one year, 25 years, 65 years, you have something to rejoice in the rest of your life. So remember Him now. Rejoice in Him now. Because one day the stuff that you have might not be there. And the days may come when you say, I don't find pleasure in them. Remember him before you get old. A lot of people like to say, I'll deal with God when I'm in my final moments. You don't know if you're going to have that time. You don't know if you're even going to be in a state to want to deal with God in that time. You may be so hardened by sin. You may be so hardened by selfishness that your heart is petrified by the time you get to that point. Do you think you'll be open to God when you get that old? How do you know you will be? Ever seen someone change over the years? Ever seen angry, bitter, older people? Do you want to be one of those people? If sin hardens your heart, that could be in your future. But if you rejoice in God, your Creator, and remember Him from the days of your youth to the days of your Elderly years. That is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I'm not saying God can't transform hard hearts. Because I know older people that were hardened and God softened them. And you do too. But I also know hardened people that went to their grave hardened. Why do that? Remember Him in the days of your youth. Worship team, would you come up? Let's uh, pray. Jesus, thank you for being our judge. Thank you for taking our punishment. Thank you for being our creator. That we're no accident. That's an amazing thing right there. When it says, remember your creator, you're saying you plan for us to be here. That every life has meaning because you wanted it here. Thank you for that. I pray for those today whose hearts are hardened right now because of life circumstances, because of the loss of things. I pray that you would begin to soften them, that you would give them a heart of flesh instead of the heart of stone, that they would be transformed by your power. I pray as we go into this time of worship that we would respond to you and sing to you and praise you for the cross that makes all things new, including our lives. I pray as we're going to take an offering in a minute here too, that you would bless that offering and use it for your kingdom's sake.
In Jesus' name, amen.